This is Performance Time, the show where I cough and splutter into the microphone for 15 minutes. I'm Stephen Townsend. As you can probably hear, I have a cold, which is awesome, but it's not going to stop me recording a podcast. Today, I'm talking about communication skills and how important they are to performance engineering. If you can communicate really clearly about the work you're doing as a performance engineer, that's going to put you ahead of the pack by a wide margin. I think on reflection that the success that I have had in my career is more to do with my communication than it has been about any technical ability that I have. My message here is that you can be the most technically brilliant person in the world, but if you can't communicate what you're doing and what you're finding, then you're doing yourself a disservice, you're doing your organization a disservice. So communicating clearly is about doing justice to the great technical work that you're doing and actually adding the most value to the people around you. It's like if you were an amazing painter and you painted all these pictures and kept them in a basement and no one ever saw them. What a waste. So what am I talking about when I say communication? I think there's really two channels. Firstly, there is verbal communication. Day-to-day conversations, contributing to meetings, uh, maybe formal presentations and uh, conferences. That's what we're going to talk about next week. This week, we're talking about written communication. This is everything from formal strategies, uh, plans, reports, uh, instant messaging, email. Anything about written communication is really important because once we've written it, we can't take it back. So we need to get it right the first time. Let's start talking about formal reporting. This could be a performance approach document, strategy, a plan, maybe an exit report. The most important thing that you can do is speak the language of the audience, especially to non-technical stakeholders. Let's face it, in your organization, most of the people, if not all the people who make the decisions about your organization and who have the power are non-technical. If you can't speak their language, you're not going to get very far and you're not going to get the right message to the right people to make a real difference. So what do non-technical people care about? What does the business care about? The business cares about business stuff like customer satisfaction, uh, business profitability, the reputation of the brand. They don't care about those technical details like the amazing correlation rule that you created or the thread pool setting which you discovered there was an issue with. They don't care about that. All they care about is what is the impact of what you're doing or what's happening in the application to the business. Let's take an example of something that I'm doing right now. I am doing some performance testing of a public-facing website And there's a lot of really interesting technical detail about what's happening on the back end and the logging that I got out of the cloud provider. But really, the only thing the business cares about is what is the impact of the issue to the customer experience. And the best way I can describe that is that intermittently, the customers are going to have to wait 5 to 20 seconds for a page to get returned. And this is going to happen for a total of about half an hour a day. 
This is simple enough that I think anyone from the business can understand it and can begin to make a decision about whether this is good enough or not. It would be even better if I could have some business metrics in this situation to explain the impact of the business in terms of percentage revenue gained or lost or drop-off rate or conversion rate. As with anything in performance, it ultimately comes back to money, customer experience, brand reputation, and in some fields, human well-being. If you can't bring back the performance engineering work you're doing to those fundamental things, then maybe you're focusing on the wrong thing. Going back to formal reporting, there is something which is a pet peeve of mine and really irritates me. When I get a performance report or strategy document that is 30 or 40 pages long or longer, just full of unnecessary information, approvals for this, entry criteria for that. I've seen reports where I've had to go seven pages deep before I found anything about either the approach or the results. Nobody cares about that stuff. You could write the best performance report in the entire world and the chances are probably no one will ever read it. Maybe one or two people will read the first couple of pages. So you need to make sure those couple of pages count. I wrote a blog on LinkedIn a while ago called The Do's and Don'ts of Reporting on Performance, uh, which is on LinkedIn. And one of the things I talked about is the idea of layering your reporting. You can do this with strategies as well, but for now I'm going to focus on results reports. The first one page needs to be killer. That's the time for you to put your executive summary. That is where you speak to your non-technical stakeholders in a language they can understand and ideally something visual and interesting which will bring them in and uh, attract them to the information that they need to know. I've been experimenting with uh, executive summaries and trying to make them visual for the last couple of years. One of the things I've done is I've put solution diagrams and color-coded each component based on the level of risk or the issues which we have. And I'll then put a really quick summary of what each issue is in a way, in a language that anyone can understand. Melbourne-based performance expert Paul McLean does something even cooler. He doesn't even write reports. He records videos of himself explaining the results, which I think is absolutely awesome and something that I've adopted in my own work as well. But let's say you are going to write a report. Executive summary, focus a lot of your effort on that, but you tend to not be able to write the executive summary until you've got the detail and done the analysis further down. The next stuff which is probably most important to cover is for a results report, it would be the issues that you've identified, especially outstanding ones, but the resolved issues are also pretty important to talk about so that we don't repeat those mistakes in the future. If you're doing a strategy, of course, you want to cover off what is the key risk so that everyone's on the same page, which actually brings me to another point. I think that in order to do a performance strategy, you first need to assess the risk. If you don't know what the risk is, let's say this application, it goes slow, why do we care? Or, hey, it crashes for an hour. Does it actually impact the business much? Until you've done that assessment of risk, then you don't know why you're doing what you're doing and where to prioritize your effort. So I actually don't do a strategy. The first thing I do, I call it a performance risk assessment. That's the starting point. When I know where the risk is, 
then I know where to prioritize my effort and I build a strategy around that. All right, going back to the report, we've done our executive summary, we've covered off what the key issues are, then you can go into the detail. But you have to understand that probably no one will ever read that apart from you and maybe your colleagues or a couple of interested nerdy people. That's just the reality of it. I kind of think it's the detailed part of my report. It's for me to figure things out and then it informs my executive summary. So my goal is to make an awesome executive summary and the detailed results is just a a means to an end to get there. If there's really obscure information, which probably no one will ever read, but it's kind of important because it was maybe a lesson learned or a process which you might want to repeat in the future, put it in an appendix. At least it's there and you can refer back to it if you need to. So at this point, you've got your report, you've got the executive summary, it's flashy, it's colorful, it gets the key message across, and you've thought about what the impact of the business is. Then you've got the other important information, which has a bit more detail, probably the issues that you encountered and how you resolve them, if you have resolved them. Then you can go into all the technical detail you want in the sections below. And if there's really obscure stuff, put them in the appendices. Now, before you send it out to anyone, I highly recommend you get your reports reviewed by someone. Now, it's actually pretty difficult finding a good reviewer. One of my mentors, Neil Davies, used to do an extraordinary job of reviewing documents. He would read it, understand it. He would suggest restructuring the entire document to get the message across clearer. He really got it and invested time into understanding it, which is very, very rare. If you can find someone like that, it's going to make an enormous difference into improving your reporting and getting the best quality communication out to your stakeholders. But even just getting someone who's going to read over it and check for typos and make sure they understand what you're saying is still a useful thing to have. The next thing you want to do is send it to people, right? So they can read it. Now, it's a huge mistake just to send out the document or a link to the document and not follow it up with something. Now, there's two things I'd recommend. Either organize a meeting where you walk through the findings at a really simple level, or what I've been doing recently, record a video of yourself describing the findings and explaining the impact. Documents are, by the very nature, difficult for people to read. Not many people want to read them, so you're constantly having to fight against that. And using verbal communication as well as written communication is a great way to do that. Before we move on to less formal communication, so I'm thinking about instant messaging and emails, here's a couple more things relating to formal reports. Every chart or image or diagram in your report needs to tell us something. It should support the text, support the message. Don't just have charts in there for the sake of charts. Save yourself some trouble and stick to the facts. Describe what's been observed, what the evidence is. If you put conjecture in a report and it turns out to be false, then you've got it on record and you're in big trouble. So don't do it. In fact, just generally, tell the truth. I've seen reports which were manufactured to make performance look really good when it wasn't. That's unethical and it completely defeats the purpose of performance engineering. If you're being pressured to do something like that, you should probably leave the organization you work for. That's just not okay. 
somewhat contradictory to what I previously said. (laughs) In a report, it can be good to tell a story to make it easier to follow and understand. As long as the story that you're telling is based off the facts of the evidence, that's okay. Alright, that's formal reporting. Let's talk about emails. Uh, We still use emails all the time. We love them. We hate them. Uh, Sometimes I get hundreds of them a day. (laughs) I think emails should be kind of treated like formal reports in a a way. I even get my emails uh, reviewed from time to time if they go out to a very large audience or an important audience. Now, I have a confession to make. I write many novels. (laughs) A lot of the emails I write are just massive walls of words. And let me apologize officially now to everyone who's ever received an email from me. I'm sorry. I will do better. But one thing I I do genuinely think is important is use formal-ish language. Try and get your spelling right and structure it right. It just makes you look more professional. Because of that, I think that stakeholders will take you more seriously. As for instant messaging, I'm still trying to figure it out. Uh, particularly with the COVID lockdown, I've noticed that I've become a member of dozens, if not hundreds of different groups of people for different reasons. And there's messages in a million different channels constantly. I have to mute a lot of them because it's just the overwhelming information that I just can't take in. I'm still figuring this one out. I'd love to hear how you deal with it in your organization. A couple of obvious things. If you are sharing your screen, put your chat clients in do not disturb mode, just in case someone sends you some uh, offensive (laughs) message you don't want to present it to the world. Uh, If you don't want to be disturbed, I think most chat clients have some kind of a peer offline mode, which is kind of important. Otherwise, it's very difficult to get any work done if you need to focus. I guess the last thing, and I think I've touched on this in a previous pod, is if you find you're being asked to provide immediate answers to really complex but important questions, then don't hesitate to say, you know what, I need to go away and think about that. Don't feel pressured into giving an immediate answer to something which requires some serious thought. That's all from this episode of Performance Time. Next time, we'll be talking about verbal communication. Shout out to Paul McLean for the idea of doing video results summaries. And to Neil Davies for your awesome document reviews. Thanks again for tuning in. And as always, this is Performance Time.